blazing through the winter months already. Uh, this is for me the time of year where I just I feel like I survived through it. Like winter <laughs> is not my is wheelhouse. Oh man, this is like stay home and work on your you know how do you want to say it nicely? <laughs> uh, <laughs> your inner uh, winter coat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> really get good well, and insulated right. by yourself. Well, I'm, this I'm time there, of year. boy. Well, we're thankful that you guys came out tonight. Yes. Um, we, as usual, will have three topics to discuss. We doubled our crowd from last week. Uh, all right. <laughs> and for those that are here, it knows how funny that is. We're surviving uh, our cold and flu we season. We are surviving our cold and flu season. I wasn't season. sick last week. I was just at my son's basketball game like a heathen, but just trying to be a good mom. Um, happy to be back tonight. Um, thank you all for surviving the cold and flu season and uh, coming out tonight. Um, we are continuing on with Paul's journeys, his missionary journeys. Um, we're in Acts mostly, and so again tonight we're going to be in Acts chapter 13. Um, this is kind of a longer passage, so if you have your Bible, you might want to turn with us there. Um, but we're going to let Ben start off, and we're going to kind of work through the last part of Acts 13 tonight. Yes, uh, so... You know, we, we spent uh, 20 minutes last week on one verse because that one verse opened up several other verses about John Mark's leaving and such, and uh, just a tremendous, if you didn't get to listen to that, I would encourage you to listen to that. Uh, but now we're, we're getting into the minutia, if you will, of uh, Paul and Barnabas going to synagogues, preaching the gospel and the such. So, and this is a lengthy passage, and this may be a two-parter, you know, uh, but uh, we're just going to dive in. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets and the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Uh, so, And that is my understanding of how, maybe you've seen this in movies and such, that's how the synagogue works. Someone picks a passage, they bring it out, they roll it out, and they read it. And then they ask if anyone in the synagogue has something to say. So it's pretty well in keeping with, with historical accuracy, if you will. So then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said, Men of Israel and ye that fear God, give audience. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. So what is Paul doing? He's, he's starting with a history lesson. Uh, and I was... we. Tara and I were talking at the beginning of this, uh, as far as when we sat down just a few moments ago, that this is actually still to this day a gospel method. You know, you've heard us talk about that if you struggle with sharing the gospel with your friends, neighbors, and relatives, you need to pick a method. You, you know, the, the best method, of course, is the gospel according to you. How did you come to faith in Christ? But there's also other methods out there, Dare to Share, Evangelism Explosion, uh, the good news, bad news. I mean, there's several. Uh, well, this is also called the story method. You just give the story. And this specific story, now if we were to do this here, uh, let's just say that we went to, we sent a, a group of people to plant a church in a community, and that community, for whatever reason, was unreached in America, believe it or not. Uh, very few people knew anything about the gospel. You start at creation. You start at the very beginning and, and just build and build and build. And then when you get to the cross, and that's what they still do uh, in Papua New Guinea. There's so many unreached people groups and tribes and such uh, in Papua New Guinea. This is strictly how they share the gospel. They start with the creation. Well, and that's true if you think about even here and today when we're teaching our children, what do we start with? 
We the start with creation. We're laying the foundation, the very groundwork of who God is. That's right. Um, but I think here, too, he's appealing to the Jewish people um, in the sense that he's giving them, you know, talking about their history. And anything else I'm about to say comes directly from something I've read or heard from John MacArthur. I had no fantastic thoughts on my own. But he was talking about how they loved to hear their history. They loved how they were God's chosen people, Correct. how they were set apart. And this is kind of what Paul is setting up. He's appealing to the fact that, like, hey, we're God's people. He's in a Jewish synagogue right. on the Sabbath after they've, you know, read the law as they usually right. do. And he starts with, hey, we're, we're God's people group. And, and think about this. You know, we use this phrase. He really is setting them up. He's not being evil about it, and he's not being, what would the word be, uh, trickery about it. But he is setting them up because they do want to hear this. Yeah, he's appealing to his audience. Th there you go. Uh, he, yeah, that's right. He, he's reading his audience. He knows who he's talking to. So uh, he, he starts with the well-known beginning of the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. So back to the scripture. With a high arm brought he them out of it. So he, he, he reminds them, you know, you weren't, were in Egypt. You were a slave, and God brought you out of it. And about the time of 40 years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. So he reminds them of their stubborn beginnings in the wilderness before the promised land. So, you know, even in the, uh, my memory of these days, the crew, and it used to be called uh, Campus Crusade, Bill Bright, uh, hit, hit the, hit four spiritual laws, talk about a method to share the gospel. God loves you and has a great plan for your life. And I've heard some good scholars say that that could just as easily say God hates you and has a terrible plan for your life. <laughs> now, you got to understand why we would ever say anything like that. And no, we don't mean that God hates the you that he created. God hates the you that has come as a result of the sin nature. Okay, And so, yes, you love the sinner, you hate the sin. So, uh, he reminds them of their sin nature. And then when he destroyed seven nations, the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. Now think about this. We've already gone from Egypt to 40 years in the wilderness to now we've conquered Canaan. All right. So he sums up the campaign and victories and subsequent occupation of the land in Scripture. And after that, he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. So now we take another big leap. And, and they're with him. They're totally with him in all this. So this one statement sums up the huddles and prophet. The that was, should have been said the the judge the judges and prophets, where Israel time and time again went a whoring after other gods and were repeatedly brought into judgment and delivered under repentance. Uh, so once again, he reminds them, you guys really screwed up for four hundred something years, time and time again. Were you going to say something, Terry? I was about to say, that kind of subs up the entire book of Judges. Like, got it, it wrong, and then they got it right. It and does. then they get it wrong, and then they would yeah. repent, and then they right. get it right. And they just stayed in that cycle, yep. which they would have known really well. Like, he's just saying things that they, Again. this wasn't um, a mystery up to this point. He's repeating what they they know very, very well and study. And some of them at this point probably have to start thinking, where's he going? We, we know all this. Where, where's he going? What is he setting us up for? So back to Scripture, and afterward they desired a king. God gave unto them Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony, and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, 
which shall fulfill all my will. So this brings us to the king years, and he doesn't refer to the 400 years of silence from Malachi to Matthew, but this brings us to present day. So he goes on. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior. So now, now, now they know. Ah, Jesus. Now you understand, we're not too far removed, maybe five years from the burial, crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. Well, I was just thinking, I mean, part of who they were, they were looking for the coming Messiah. Like that was a part of their, uh, who they and were. Then, like and then the they Mes- rejected him. The Messiah was going to be of Jewish nationality. Right. Like these are things they knew. And I heard um, John MacArthur say mothers wanted to have their, they would hope their child would be the Messiah. It was going to be a Jewish child. Correct. It was a big deal. They were looking for it. They knew what to look for. And still to this day, it baffles me. Like, how did they miss it? They, of all people, knew it was coming more than anybody else. So they're... So, so I, and, and right. Well, well let, let's develop that thought just for a second. Did they miss it? Yeah. Or are they just denying it? And, and the Messianic Jew, will, in my humble opinion, will tell you it's a little bit of both. Because now how many years are removed are we? You know, some 2,000. So... You know, th- that first batch, the-, the batch that Paul's talking to, they just strictly denied it. Uh, he ain't it. He, we, no, we reject him. He's not the Messiah. So that's not missing it, in my humble opinion. Um, and, and, of course, they would be- vehemently, you know, argue that point. But uh, th- th- for, for these folks living right here, right now, that is the issue. You know, we have to deal with not only is he the Messiah, but do you believe that everything that's said about him is true? Well, they still had eyewitnesses. Some of these people that he's talking to were eyewitnesses. Some of their relatives were healed by him and the such. And so, uh, I mean, it's just a different, you know, it's, it's an apple and an orange almost. But uh, the, the Jews today believe that they are still waiting for the Messiah, the ones that aren't saved. And then, of course, when we say Messianic Jew, that's a Jew that's been saved. They have accepted Jesus as the Messiah. Um, so when John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he, but behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Now this is another, we don't talk about it a lot, but this is another um, prophecy that they were fully aware of and anticipating and expecting the forerunner okay so he gives proper due to the forerunner but now he draws the net on the gospel men and brethren children of the stock of abraham and whosoever among you feareth god to you is the word of this salvation sent now now you got to think about that for how many years now those things that he just said men and brethren children of the stock of abraham for the people he's talking to that's enough we're going to heaven we are the stock of Abraham. And whosoever among you feareth God, that's enough. We're going to heaven. To you is the word of this salvation sent. There's the rub. Remember, to ever get a fellow saved, you've got to get him lost. And that's what Paul's trying to do. You guys are just as much a sinners as your forefathers. You're just as stubborn as your forefathers. Messiah came in your lap and you rejected him. And, and Paul is preaching a very hard message. For they that dwelt at Jerusalem and their rulers because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. 
And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. So he shares how Jesus came, and even though he fulfilled all the prophets' prophecies, the leaders rejected him. But God raised him from the dead, and he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, he's drawing the net, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. So he makes a clear argument that Jesus is who he says he is and he can do what he says he can do. Any other comment before we move on? Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. I think at this point, until he said the law of Moses, he probably had most of them on the line. He was probably bringing most of them to to the boat, if you will. When he said the law of Moses, there with most of these, especially scribes and Pharisees, there was a, wait a minute. We, you know, you've called us everything but, you know, a Jew here. But now you're telling me that if I keep all the law of Moses, I'm not going to heaven? And that's what they've heard for the last 800 years. And so in parentheses, I put, now we are getting to the rub with the Jews. The law isn't the, isn't the way. Jesus is the way. Well, and we've covered this yeah. at length, that yeah. the law, quote, that they were trying to keep, they had stretched it and stretched it to become so many laws that nobody could keep it. Nobody. They were totally oppressed by their own, quote, laws that they created. So it had to be for some people like, oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness a new message because I can't keep these laws. Correct. Nobody can keep these laws. Like, Correct. didn't you think there were some people in the crowd that oh, thought, there's no doubt. sweet relief. Yeah. There is, there is another way to heaven than perfection that I can't keep here on this planet. Which only made the people that it was a rub the matter, you know. For, for someone to see that as a release made the people that believed it was the only way to heaven made them furious. It just made them furious. Um, until they, you know, accepted it too. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, ye despisers and wonder and perish... For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. He's talking to them. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue. So right now there isn't a huge problem, but there's about to be. The Gentiles. So, so he preaches the sermon. They're all like, well, okay, you've given us a lot to think about, Paul. They walk out, and there are the Gentiles of the town waiting on him. And they beseech him that these words might be preached unto them the next Sabbath. Well, this isn't going to fly with the Judaizers. Now, when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So, yes, there were several people in this crowd that wanted to believe and did believe. Well, this is a good many of the Jews were receptive to the gospel because it's an accurate Bible history. 
And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. I mean, this is what every preacher wants, right? But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. So, parentheses, the devil stirred up the Jews who didn't want to come to Jesus on his terms, but theirs. So it would be like the whole town showing up for church, and they're like, well, we can't have this. This guy's more popular than us. Right. They, uh, we're not going right. to do this today. You know, th- think about it, uh, and, and I'm not trying to be anything but real. If the whole town, which, which we'd have to go out into the parking lot to hold everybody, but if the whole town shows up and I preach the unadulterated gospel, that's one thing, and that's the most important thing. But what if I start calling sins like Paul did? I mean, I mean, he just straight up said, you know, our, our forefathers were stubborn, just, just like you, you know. So, so what if I bring up homosexuality? What if I bring up abortion? What if I bring up I fill in the blank? Now, all of a sudden, I'm asking them to take sides, God's side or their side. And, and, and that's where the rub is, you know. Um, and, and even though I don't necessarily believe that you have to hit those social ills at every gospel presentation, I'm just telling you that sooner or later, Christians, if they're going to be Christian, they have to come to that reality that what God says is how, how it is. And that's the toughest thing. Uh, but what the, for me, the key is the Holy Spirit drawing. And the key is a person being so full of themselves, meaning they, they are sick and tired of being sick and tired of the uh, addictions that they have, uh, of, of the brokenness that they have, of the no hope that they have, uh, and the depression that they have, fill in the blank, that they basically say, whatever, Lord, whatever. If you tell me homosexuality is wrong, homosexuality is wrong. I'll figure it out. You know, you'll help me through it. You'll get me through it. If, if abortion is wrong, abortion is wrong. Uh, I'll confess it. You know, if, again, fill in the blank. And, and that is what we call true repentance. I mean, that's a 180 degree from where they were headed. Comments? Only that my mystery topic needs to be the next topic. <laughs> Perfect. So continue. <laughs> Perfect. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold. Now, I think that's important because when you and I are faced with bold opposition, I can't speak for you, but my first response is retreat usually. <laughs> you know, oh, okay, okay, well, you, hang on, hang on. Let me see if I can explain what I'm trying to say. And, and if I'm not careful, I sell the farm because I want to be liked. I want to be liked. And Paul and Barnabas want to be liked too, but they want to. I don't think they cared that. I mean, they want to be right more than they want to be liked, right? Amen. And and they want to they want to be liked by God more than they want to be liked by everybody else. Which was more important? That's right. Which they stuck to better than we probably do. Right. So So the the and we are out of time on this particular segment. The the writer uh, of the book called uh, Elijah the Prophet says that Elijah could dare to fear men so little because he feared God so much. That's where we have to get to. So then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. They stood their ground because they did exactly what they were called to do. They brought the gospel to the Jews first, but then to the Gentiles. So they basically said, okay, if that's the way you're going to respond, we're just going to stick with these people because these people want to hear. Seeing ye put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. That's, That's some strong language. This was your choice, Paul is saying. Lo, we turn to the Gentiles, for so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. 
And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. And glo- I, I want you to see what's happening here. At this town meeting, the Jews are saying, no, we're not putting up with this sound gospel. And then when they hear Paul say, okay, we're going to the Gentiles, the Gentiles start cheering. Yay, God's come to us. <laughs> we get to go to heaven too yeah, now. Right, we get to go to heaven too. And the Jews, they just, they're just spitting nails. Were, they, were the Jewish people, and I'm just wondering, were they thinking, we're so already going to heaven. Correct. We don't need your message. That, that's exactly right. Again, we got Moses. We got, Mo- we got Abraham. We're children of Abraham. Uh, and, and we're circumcised. Well, and I you mean, know, that's, what they're thinking. that's so bold to believe. And I guess it's hard for me What's to pride? imagine because my whole life I've been taught I don't get to go to heaven because my parents are Christians or because right. my parents went to church. That's right. You got to make it happen for yourself. That's right. Um, this isn't a thing where mom and dad can buy you in or they can, you know, you. this is the real, kind of I think of the real world, like, well, you can't live in your parents' basement forever unless they let you. You know, it's kind of like, <laughs> sorry, Tony, that was I not I don't directed. live in the basement. I live on the top floor. Exactly. He's in the attic. It's fine. I was just saying, you know, when it comes to your salvation, you don't get to squeak in on anybody else's terms. But in their whole mindset was, well, I was born this way, so I'm automatically in. That's right. Uh, So basically what they're saying is I'm not a sinner. I'm not a sinner. Uh, When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad, glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region, but the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them, which is scriptural. Jesus had told them to do that, excuse me, earlier, and came unto Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. So that was a long passage. That was a lot. And, and, Probably could have saved some of that for next week. No doubt. Lie. No doubt. But, but we're we through it. we still might. We still might. Uh, so, you know, what I put here in my notes is it's a long passage, but, you know, when you break it down, you've got the historical gospel, you've got the present-day gospel, and you've got the future gospel and how it came to the Jews and what the Jews did with it and how it is available to all now and the results of all this. So for us as Americans, we've got to always remember we're in the Gentile side of it. We're not Jews. Now, we have Jews that live in America. I'm not trying to say that. But they're Jews, and everybody else is Gentiles. And so if the Jews are the only one that have the gospel, we're in trouble. But that's simply not the case. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Or for people that are Jewish in America today, they still need the gospel. Correct. I guess my closing thoughts on this um, was simply that we still need to tell the story. He's telling the story. That's applicable to today right we still need to tell the story and we need to figure out a way to tell it that reaches people today that's right and 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 that that is the key I, i try to be gentle with it but i try to make sure that bethel knows that if you do not have a prepared way to share the gospel you are living in prepared disobedience you know uh and and none of us wants to live in that and so so we've got to at the very least remind the lord i'm ready lord I know how to share how I came to faith, so give me an opportunity. And then when he does, take it. Or if you're hearing this today and you're in a small group, maybe that needs to be a small group study that you do or get a small group started, how to share the gospel. Like there's got to be, I imagine, a lot of material out there to follow. Yes. As a challenge to myself as a member of a small group. (laughs) Amen. And as pastor, I stand ready to help anyone in this area as well. All right. All right, we're out of time for that, and then some. And then some. Um, do you have it? I'm just saying. I do. Uh, 
mine's kind of went lame. Uh, I'm just saying it's cold finally. <laughs> it is cold. <laughs> it's you cold. You noticed too. My I'm just saying is I know that the Falcons, the Atlanta, Georgia Falcons are not in the playoffs, but Correct. they still might win the Super Bowl somehow because God's <laughs> hand is on sports in Georgia. No right doubt. Now. They won the, the, what's that thing called? World, World Series. Series. <laughs> and then the uh, Georgia Bulldogs won the national championship. They might still pull off a Super w- Bowl. Wouldn't that be something? Victory. That would be great. They need to get a new quarterback, don't yeah, you think? Yeah. And I, yeah, they need to get a <laughs> new team. Need some help. <laughs> Ryan? I'm just saying Reese's is the most overrated candy. By you far. think? What? I think so. What? Wait a minute. I'm Reese's hurt. like trees and eggs all and hearts. All of the above. It's all the same. I mean, the cups, I could get on board with the cups, but there's something about the specialty Reese's that it's just. Uh, you won't get me to raise my hand against anything, Chuck. <laughs> you just won't do it. I just don't know where that came from, Ryan. I don't even know if we could be friends. Do you like chocolate? Yeah, I like chocolate. Okay, you well, saw What's, your, what's your chocolate of choice then? Uh, just plain dark chocolate. Uh, I just like uh, Actually, chocolate. I am the same there. Yeah. Yeah. But I, you know. I'm not going to turn down a Reese's, like, heart or egg or tree. No doubt. Or, or do you drink coffee? No. What? <laughs> See, that's part of the problem, uh, Ryan. We really haven't is. unlocked all of your taste buds yeah. yet. I've tried it. I've tried to like it before. I just can't. It's just not Have you had all. cold brew? I, that I have not. Okay. So, but you, okay. You we need, got some room to work here. You need the smoothest <laughs> cup of coffee you can find and your candy bar together. I'm so, I know so. He's I, diabetic. I, I, yeah, I'm di- I know <laughs> of what I speak. He's got the blood work to prove it. This morning, I had a, a break <laughs> off of a chocolate bar, and of course, breaks into three pieces, and you drink a little bit of coffee, you eat your candy. Drink a little bit of coffee, it's... it's That's how I've survived 18 years of nursing right there. as close to heaven as you're going to get on yeah. this side. All right. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, Tony, you got one? I'm just saying, as a cross-country runner... You cannot live a normal life without being made fun of by someone. <laughs> yeah, because your sport is everybody else's sport's punishment. Yes. Even <laughs> math teachers may, may make fun of you. Like, the people that teach the devil's, like, subject will make fun of you. I got slapped today but in math class. For being, being a, a runner. Cross being country. a runner, yeah. She used it in a math problem. Oh. And she said, or if you're a cross runner, but who would be that? They they're they're weird, country. right? Yeah. And him and Chloe were like, <gasps> you know, because they run cross country. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I'm, I, we're good on that. Did everybody get there? I'm just saying out. Yeah. So deal. we're on to, we were going to do a mystery topic. Correct. Um, but I brought a mystery topic um, that I didn't realize was going to fit so perfectly with what we just talked about. So do it. We're going to, we're just going to roll. So um, my mystery topic is on sin and repentance. Uh, kind of heavy, a little bit heavier of a Kay. topic, but. Uh, just to throw out a question, what do you think is the general attitude towards sin as a whole in America today? Just a thought. How often are people even thinking about sin or I'm sinning? And I'm not talking about people, say Christians, go to church, um, claim even Christianity. Just the general person that's at home right now watching. Denial is the first word that comes to my mind. If Yeah, if it feels good, it must be right. Right, you know? right. Uh, you know, the, the, the writers of our worldly music dealt with this years ago. You know, if this is wrong, I don't want to be right, you know, type deal. And I think our world just ran with that. If it feels good, do it, you know, and things of that nature. Um, 
and then, you know, in the last 30 years, it's become so much more bolder that sin is celebrated. Sin is the right thing to do. Uh, now they're even saying, there was a commercial that I watched, uh, <laughs> this guy had obvious sexual origin leanings, and uh, he said to this girl that it's okay to be lost. You know, and he probably wasn't even talking about in the spiritual realm. But what parent would agree with that? Yeah, it's like everything's permissible, right? Everything's permissible. Everything's subjective. Whatever, what's true for you might not be true for me. You got to live your your truest self. That's right. And I don't know if that answers your your. No, it's just kind of to get a feel for it. Right. Um, in the church today, are we thinking much about our sin? Do we talk much about our sin? And so this is now leaving the general and, and into our own arena. Uh, just not our church specifically, but the the church. What are your thoughts? Not enough. Yeah, I think that's kind of kind of where I was headed with that. Right. Um, in general. So, in uh, looking back, we did a study, and and one of the in our small group, and part of it leaned towards repentance. And um, the message the preacher was trying to convey is that repentance in the Bible is is a huge theme. It's not one of the themes. And he talked about how the Old Testament prophets were always calling on the people to repent. Every Old Testament prophet. It was, some, it was part of the message, repent. Um, and then you get into the New Testament. Here's John the Baptist. What's he saying? Repent. repent. Prepare the way of the Lord. And then here's Jesus, Luke 15. Repent. Um, repent. I, I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So then we move on to Acts, starting a brand new church. Here we go. What's the theme? Repent. Repent. Uh, and so it's, it's a big theme in the Bible. And I guess my question is, is it a theme in our church in America today? Are we thinking about repentance? Or are we having a feeling like, well, I don't really know that I have anything to repent about. Right. Are we, is it even, is it even a, in the top ten? Is it number 11? on the top 10 things we think about? Is it where it needs to be? Right. Well, you know, I, I think that you have to say on a national level, obviously not. You know, um, the scripture is very clear. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face, then I'll hear, he'll hear their prayer and heal their land. And I think we can argue that that's not happening. Our, we're not in an open revival our land is not being healed. I think our land is in full-blown uh, being, uh, how do you call it? Uh, we're, we're being spanked, if you will. Uh, we're, we're being judged by God. I, I, that's not to say that there aren't some good things happening in our nation uh, and the such, but sin is going unchecked in a lot of ways. Um, I, I can't, I mean, I do. I, I, I watch that news feed morning, noon, and night. And I'm just shocked and appalled every day at how many people are being killed, in, innocent, in quotations, people being killed, uh, the crime rates that are spiking out of this world, uh, and all the issues and problems that we have. So I think it's safe to say that we are in certainly in a low repentance level. Now, with that said, I sometimes suffer with recency bias. You know, you guys would have to tell me if this church is not preaching on repentance. Uh, to me, I feel like I got a snootful of it, you know, and the such. But I, 
again, I've, I've confessed pretty regularly the last couple of weeks, I'm always going to be easy on myself. <laughs> you know, I, I'm as, just as human as the Same. next person. Right. We're, we're going to cut ourselves some slack. But with that said, um, I certainly want to know if, if, if the church doesn't think, you know, I've shared this story years ago now, a fellow that went to a church that will not be spoken, and it wasn't in the St. Clair area. But he said, Brother Ben, we are sinners. And he was talking about him and his wife. We need to hear that we are sinners. And we knew if we came to a Baptist church, we would hear some sermons on sin. <laughs> well, that made me feel good. It, it really did. Now, they ended up not staying because they couldn't get over eternal security. <laughs> but, but nonetheless, it, it did my heart well to know that that's one of the reasons that they knew it was safe to come here, if you will. But yes, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think every church probably could do with a good old-fashioned, you know, uh, hell and brimstone sermon, if you will. Uh, but, but we need to be reminded of the sinners that we are. I mean, that's what Paul just did with the, the Jewish people there in Acts 14. And I think that's part of the gospel message. Like you said, they need to get lost first. Got to get lost first. Uh, and we don't recognize the sin in our life and the havoc it's causing. Right. Um, so what is the difference between confession and repentance? Well, confession is the start of repentance. But confession is not the end of repentance. Repentance is a 180-degree turn. Repentance is no longer doing what you just confessed. In my humble, I mean, would you guys agree? I would agree. Yeah, same. Um, so I confessed and repented back in October of eating too much. It's time to do that again. <laughs> Work in progress. Right, right, because I repented for about two months. <laughs> and now we're back to, you know, i got to repent again. Uh, but i got to follow it up with changing my actions. Um, so I had looked up a definition of confession to be to admit your misdeeds yeah. or to yeah. admit your faults, whereas right I had this great um, definition of repentance, and it said a recognition of sin followed by heartfelt sorrow culminating in a change in behavior. Um, so it was ultimately a change in behavior. Correct. Um, repentance and change are pretty well interchangeable. Yeah. I, I repented, or in 2,000 years ago, someone would even say, you know, I, I was going to use so-and-so in this meal, but I repented, and I used so-and-so. So, so it, it was just a word back then that meant I changed I my changed. mind. Yeah. Um, and just kind of going back to the first topic, when we were talking about the Jewish crowd that he was talking to, they were very, very aware of sin, um, far more than I feel like we are today. So he's talking to a crowd of people that sin was huge. Like they were thinking about sin. They were. They had all those laws and like right. so many things. That, that was hot on their mind. Where you know, talking to crowds today, sin may not be hot on their minds. Right. Um, but just bringing that to light, uh, and even in our own lives, like I don't know. I feel like we get really busy and we're not doing anything quote that bad. Right. So there can't right. be anything I really have to repent about because surely I'm not that bad. I mean, surely I don't have any idols. Uh, surely I don't have any prideful things I need to chip away at. If you ever get to that point where you think that you don't have, quote, unquote, anything to repent of, come to me. I've got a page of 72 sins on it. Yeah. <laughs> well, It's and every sin that's listed in the Bible. In our discussion, in our small group, um, one of the things that I said is if, if you're thinking, man, maybe I just don't really have anything I can think of I need to repent about, maybe start with asking God to show you. Right. And he will. I, I guarantee you. That's <laughs> I've exactly tried that. Right. 
And 100% of the time, it's been like, oh, yeah, there it is. I did that in college and spent three hours in my dorm room. I mean, he took me back to the third grade. And some people think you're joking. I'm serious. You know, I had people that I offended uh, at that age and the such, and the Holy Spirit brought that to mind. He he takes repentance very seriously. Um, So in part of this study, it had five marks of genuine Mm -hmm. repentance, and one was grief over your sin or um, seeing what God sees about my sin. Right, saying the same thing about your sin that God says about it. You know, yeah, we, we, we might say, well, yeah, I had a bad thought. The Bible says if you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery. Well, that's, well, that's how God sees that, it. That's how God sees it. And that's a totally different thing than just I had a bad thought. Yeah, and I don't know why I kind of had this thought about King David the other day and how we talk about David was a man after God's right. own heart. And it says the things that he did. And also like he an was, adulterer and a murderer. Right. He was all these things, and it was like the big ones, quote. You know, and I had to stop and think about that. Like, that is how much God loves us. That's, I feel like he I, gave. Doesn't that give you hope? Yeah, I feel like he really did give us those examples of like, oh, my gosh, that was so bad. Uh, so bad. But that's a man after God's own heart. That was, it's, I feel like he gave us those ultimate bad examples to just show him how much he will forgive us and love us. Good stuff. So, uh, don't know if you can hear this if you're listening online, but we got these uh, beautiful, wonderful young folks coming in from Trek, and we've got three more questions from their list of 23, I believe it was, uh, and we're going to deal with the three questions uh, tonight on why is there both Jesus and God, how old is God, and I like that one a lot, and then there was, the last one was... I'll come to it here. Hang on. Because I put a Is heaven real? Yeah, it's heaven real. Thank you. All right. Uh, so we'll just dive right into the first one. Why yep. is there both Jesus and God? They're just giving us really easy questions to talk about. Yeah, and, and you know, you did give us some, in my humble opinion, more difficult questions. We're saving those. Uh, but uh, why is there both Jesus and God? So uh, God is a triune being. The word triune simply means three, okay? You are a triune being, body, soul, spirit. So uh, your spirit is that part that you do not see. The soul is your mind, will, and emotion. It's your soul. And of course, your body's pretty easy. And so The Bible says that you were created in God's image. God is a triune being. So he has three persons, if you will, or three distinct entities is how I like to to say it. And yes, they do present in three and as three different entities, but they are still one. The Bible says in the New Testament, that the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelleth in our Lord. So I personally believe that when we go to heaven, we're, gonna, we're not going to see a cloudy figure representing God and a mystical figure representing the Holy Spirit and then Jesus in a bodily form. You're going to see Jesus. And he is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But those three entities, if you will, operate as, if you will, three distinct persons because God 
was the creator. And there's also verses to say that Jesus was a part of the creation and that the Holy Spirit was part of the creation. So they all, they all three took part. This is how I say it, to try to be as simple as I know how to be. God came up with the idea of creating man. But he also knew that man would sin. And so when they were taking counsel among themselves, Jesus, if you will, raised his hand and said, I'll pay the price for their sin. The Holy Spirit raises his hand and says, if Jesus will do that, I will brood over the whole earth, calling men, women, boys, and girls to the gospel. And every man, woman, boy, and girl that accepts Jesus Christ as the payment for their sin, I'll indwell them with the spirit of Jesus. And I'll be with them until they go to heaven. And so that's, for me, that is the breakdown of how the Trinity works and the such. So the answer is, why is there both Jesus and God? Well, there's actually three. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Brian, what would you add? Uh, I would say that we needed Jesus for a couple of reasons. One, because God had to take a form that we could see and understand and he could interact with us with. And as God, the creator of heaven and earth, he'd kind of have to, you know, become something that we could understand. But then also he had to become fully man at the same time as fully God. That way a man could live perfectly and then take the price for everybody's sin and give us his perfection. A sinless sacrifice. Very good. Tara, what would you add? You guys pretty well. (laughs) Tony, you got anything? Not really. Man, you're sitting in Gavin's chair. (laughs) Not messing. Well, you know, I have a, I guess, a Jay Vernon (laughs) McGee analogy. Have you heard the story he tells about the ants when the ants got into his house? Go ahead. Well, uh, so no, I have not heard that. Well, he's he's talking about how these ants, uh, and as they will, got into his house, and they, you know, they weren't they're were just being innocent enough. They were got to where the sugar is, and they're carrying it back, and they're just doing what ants do. And he's like, I don't want to just wipe them out completely. And I'm looking at these ants, like, gosh, I got to get rid of them. I'm gonna have to kill all of them. If there is a way, I could just become an ant down there to tell him like just stay out of my sugar you stay outside and i'm going to keep my sugar and we're all going to get along just fine and he thought oh that's That's like god he just if he became like us so he could be with us and share with us um what we're doing wrong if you will you know and and when when you can when you can sit back and, and look at it for what it is it is the best way to communicate God to us. You've got the written word. The Bible is God on paper. And then you've got the living word, Jesus, that came and lived this life for 33 and a half years. And he died, was buried, and resurrected. And then you've got the spirit of God that comes and lives with us and helps us understand his word. There's, I mean, the, the, God has the perfect plan to reach his people. So one thing I want to encourage you folks to do, if you do not already know about this, there's three uh, websites that I would encourage you anytime you've got a question. One is gotquestions.org, allaboutgod.com, and bibleinfo.com. I got a lot of uh, material from those uh, areas. Number two, how old is God? I'll start off on this one. Let's do it, Ryan. So there's two options for how the universe began. Either it's infinite 
and it just always was, or it had a beginning point. And uh, as far as I understand, I'm no scientist, but as far as I understand, all the evidence leads towards there being a beginning point. So if it had a beginning, the universe, which is time, space, and material, then something outside of that, outside of time, outside of space, and outside of material would have to create it because it can't just create itself. Right. So that sounds like God to me. And right. like the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, so he's outside of time, so there's not really a good way to put an age on him, so to speak. Correct. The, the, the absolute accurate, simple answer is we don't know. And that doesn't necessarily mean that there is an age that can be attached to God. We don't know. If we could explain God, he wouldn't be God. There's the verses in the Bible that says his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That's a good thing. If we could understand God, then, then he's not infinite. He's finite. Because we're finite. We've got an end. The Bible says that it's appointed unto man once to die. After this is the judgment. There's not one single 150-year-old person alive right now. Some roughly 5,000 years ago, there were people that would live up to 900 years. Methuselah is one of them. But those days are gone. And so every person that lives dies, except God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, how old is God? He's forever. Uh, so, if I don't know if you're familiar with the Old Testament, but he does, not, he does not allow himself to be put as a past, present, or future tense. Tell uh, Israel, God tells Moses, that the I am sent you. And that means he's the eternal one. He's the ever-existing one. Uh, Revelation calls it the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. And so, you know, I can't speak for you, but if I have hope of eternity, and I do, I need my God to be eternal. And, and that's exactly, you know. Well, and it's hard, too, because just the concept of eternity is so much more that we can't even... That, for me, even as a child, I can remember thinking, how long is forever? Uh, yet again, it's like you said, he's outside of time. Everything we know on this planet, it has a, it starts and it ends. Like, it started 6.30 tonight. It's going to end at 8. Uh, we're going to go to bed tonight. We're going to wake it's up all in the we morning. Know. Everything comes to a beginning and an end and a birth and a death. But, God, there is no beginning. There is no end. That's why I always couldn't even still wrap my mind around eternity because we can't grasp it. Um, the same as we can't grasp, like, well, exactly when did it begin? It, you just And when you say creation... And this has really helped me. Everything we have is created. The shoes you're wearing had somebody that designed somebody them. Somebody made them. Um, I mean, even if they're, you know, Reebok or Nike, somebody put the symbol on it. The cell phone. Some little Chinese person. You know, somebody didn't. <laughs> bleep that Three dollars an hour. Uh, yeah, bleep some, that out, Brad. Somebody took this phone. It, it didn't just, you know, we didn't take a bag. We didn't put some plastic, some, Sorry, some batteries, some lithium, some little chips and like we didn't just take a whole bunch of things and shake it up in a bag and it exploded into a phone and a cell phone came out of it it had a designer it was very intricately designed um it's the same with our bodies it's the same with creation even people that want to be atheists the more they study the human genome the more they study 
um, just the how cell. They, everything just about the, the it. Human cell. They have even had to confess. Okay, something designed this, and they'll say, "Well, it was a what do they call it? The it's a theory. There's a the aliens planet. Well, <laughs> see, see I'm serious. That's a yeah. terraformed. Yeah. yeah, there's something something created. I don't want to call it God, right. and I don't want to say that this God being loves me. Well, intelligent design is one way to say right. it. Right, something something made Sorry. all of this. It didn't explode here. It wasn't an accident. It was very perfectly designed. Um, but they don't want to say that because then they have to confess. Well, maybe there is a God. Maybe I am a sinner. Maybe there is eternity. Maybe there is hell. Maybe there is heaven. Like, they, right. that's, I don't want to think about that. I want to keep doing whatever I want. But something designed it. Right. So, so one thing, too, before we go to the last question. Uh, who says God is old? And, and, and that's one thing we got to realize, that if, if God materialized right now, he would look like a 33-year-old man type thing. He'd be virile. That means he'd be strong. He would look like he could play for an NFL team, maybe, and the such. He, he'd be put together. He's God. And, and I'm not saying that he would, uh, I, you know, we don't want to get into the whole attractive and stuff. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that you wouldn't look at God and go, oh, do you need help, hon? No. <laughs> no, not the person that spoke the world into existence. Uh, and so... The whole thing of God being old, that's us. We've put that, we've forced that on the image of God. God is not old. He doesn't use a cane. He, he's not in a facility. <laughs> he's not old. But he's been around forever. And, and so, I, you know, I, I'm not saying it's wrong to think about that. And this is a good question. But it's extremely important to know that God is as strong and as capable as he was, and, and that's just it. Did God have a first day? He's always been. And, and that just blows your mind when you think about it. And, and you see what I'm scrolling through here? This is all about how old is God. Uh, so now we get to that last one, heaven uh, is heaven real. Someone else want to, I mean, I've been talking a lot, and I, I've got stuff to say. Go ahead, Terry. I thought, uh, you, I thought you was raising no, your hand. I was going to say, God, right? I just answer a question with a question. Uh, is heaven real? And I would answer that with, is God a liar? If you believe his word is true, he talks about heaven throughout it. So it would have to be if you do believe in God and that right. what he says is the truth. Amen. That's a very good point. And two, guys, uh, the favorite verse about this for me, uh, and you talk about blowing your mind, everything that you can see, it's temporary. Everything that you can't see is forever. And it, it's really real. I can't see my brother who deceased 20 years ago, but he's still alive. And he's forever. I can't see him. That means he's real. And uh, I can't see the spiritual world. I, I can't see demons. They're real. I can't see the heaven. It's real. Now, Again, uh, if you'll go to All About God or uh, info.org and, and such of that nature, they go deep into it. Because the simple answer to is heaven real is yes. The long answer is, but heaven right here, right now, is not what it's going to be when, we, uh, when everything gets done. When Jesus comes back, 
and we have the thousand-year reign, and then you have the uh, judgment seat of Christ, and everything's settled. Everybody's either in heaven or in the place of eternal punishment. That's going to be a different heaven than what is going on right now. The Bible word for what's going on right now is paradise. Everybody that is saved and is not in an eternal place of torment, and that's going to change too, they are in paradise. It's heaven to them, if you will. But when Jesus settles everything, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And so, uh, you know, that's really even a, a different question than is heaven real. But uh, I, I absolutely believe that heaven is real. I believe my deceased loved ones that are saved are there. I believe all of the Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints, and everybody that has been saved since the New Testament to now, I believe that's where they're at. Uh, now, I do not believe that everybody goes to heaven. The people that have not accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they go to a place of eternal punishment. And that's a whole different subject. Uh, anyone else? Well, we talked about heaven quite a bit um, la early on in uh, this year, if you will, um, of Bethel Radio Hour, and you weren't in here for that. But I feel like we could revisit a lot of the questions that were raised, of like what will we do in heaven? What is heaven like? Mm -hmm. um, we had quite a few things we fielded about heaven that we could revisit next week for them. But um, I noticed in the questions they presented, there is a lot of heaven questions. So certainly something we could dive deeper into. And, and let me let me... Well, we don't have time. We don't, I, I was going to say, let me read a little bit. We don't have time. We'll save it for next week. Right. Uh, but, but these are the subtitles. Heaven has solid real estate. Uh, there are many intelligent beings in heaven. Perfect, unselfish love governs all relationships in heaven. We will have physical bodies in heaven, etc. So uh, please look that up. I know you all have phones. You all have the ability to Google and such. Please look those sites up. All right. Well, that's all the time we have. Thanks for coming tonight. We'll see you guys next week.